theyeshiva.net. Some are wondering why I titled today's class the way I titled it, The Litvish Aside of the Lubavitcher Rebbe. So the reason for that will become clear, I hope, during the class. But I do want to give a brief introduction to our shir this morning. Anyone who is familiar, even a little bit, with uh, Chassidus, and especially Chabad Chassidus, and especially the works of the Lubavitcher Rebbe, his shiurim, his talks, his sichis, his mamorim, his chidushim, know that there is a lot, a lot of material focused on Yosef, Yosef HaTzadik. Rabbi Israel told me yesterday, after the shir, that uh, if he would compile all the shiurim that we had on Yosef over the last few years, he could write two svarim, two books from our shiurim on Yosef. And it's true, we, one of the dreams... But uh, Yosef is such an exceptional figure and such an inspiring figure and everything he goes through that it really becomes, he becomes a source of, uh, of inspiration and guidance for Jews throughout millennia, the millennia as discussed yesterday and Monday, this week's Shia from Lakut Yisichas, volume 25, Parshas Vayigash, Roi Yisrael Hazin, Anoyi Katsayin Yosef, Rashi says that the Jewish people are all assume the name of Yosef. Whether it's the idea, the notion that Yosef felt himself as a shliach, he tells his brothers, you did not sell me, but Hashem sent me. You don't be depressed, because it wasn't you who sold me, it was Hashem. You did not send me, Hashem sent me. As the Rebbe said, that Yosef teaches that wherever a Jew is, there's always a shlichus. And even if the circumstances are not what we expected, the circumstances are very different than what I anticipated and may be challenging. But I'm never sold. I'm never a victim. I was sent there on a mission. And Yosef uses the word elikim, elikim shlachane, because sometimes the veneer, the outer appearance, seems negative, dark. This is, I'm facing adversity, trauma, wounds, scars. That's what elikim, elikim is... The numerology of Hateva, the Parda says, 86. In other words, it's godliness cloaked within the vicissitudes and what appears like the randomness of a natural world, the pain of a natural world. Alikim is the attribute of tzimtzum, restrictiveness, of judgment. Nonetheless, Yosef knows there is a shlichus here. I was sent on a mission. Or the concept how Yosef in prison asks the two Prisoners, the butler and baker of Parai, Madua Pnechem Rayim when he sees that they're depressed, why do you seem so melancholy and dejected? Here's a little a kid in prison who's wondering why these two people are not cheerful, are not in good spirits. Or the idea of Yosef Hatzadik and his shita in life, the difference between him and his brothers that we learned many times about, including this week in the Sikh of Lakuti Sikhis, volume 25, Vayigash, the uniqueness of Yosef, and how he created the paradigm that allowed the Jewish people to survive and thrive through thousands of years of uh, millennia, the ability to integrate, toifer, poiser, the ability of oneness. We learned the Maimon and Torah of the Balatanya, how all their sheaves bowed down to his sheaf, Birurish and Birusheni. So there's a tremendous amount of focus 
on the greatness, the virtue, the profundity, the revolutionary attitude of Yosef how he, and why he was misunderstood, etc. Today, our shir is going to be in the opposite direction. I chose today a sicha, a shir of the Lubavitcher Rebbe, that actually focuses on the opposite notion, as you will see. And the truth is that this actually allows us to see the contrasts and it allows us to appreciate every position and every perspective with much more clarity because you could see both sides. It also shows you the authenticity and infinity and all and all and the all encompassing quality of Torah, Arucha Meritz Midurachavamaniyam reflecting God's infinity, we're never stuck in one model and that becomes the exclusive reality. The Gemara says in Eruv and Elu Veelu Divrelakim Chayim. This opinion and that opinion are both the words of the living God, even though the halacha naturally follows one opinion. So we see the infinity of Torah. To serve God, to learn Torah, means never to be stuck in one space, in one box, in one structure. It's to expand our horizons, to be able to touch the divine, to touch the Rebbeinu Shalom, who by definition is beyond definition and infinite. So today we're actually going to learn a very different type of sicha. And it represents the notion that is very different and in many ways opposite of the Avoid of Yosef. Which allows you even better to understand Yosef, to understand his brothers, to understand Yaakov's position. And to see how in Yiddishkeit everything has its place, Elu Elu, and its unique role and contribution to Jewish life. Let's see, let's see inside and it will become clearer as we, uh, as we move on. This is a sicha that the Lubavitcher Rebbe said, Shabbos Parshas Miketz Tovshin Chav The second day of Tevis. The Shabbos portion of Miketz Tovshin Chav would be 5,722, December 9th, 1961. The end of 1961, Tovshin Chav It's printed in Lekutei Sichas, Volume 3, Parshas Vayigash. Take a look inside. It's in Yiddish. Obviously, I'll translate. Afen Posik, you see... It starts off Zion, because it's a middle, it's a middle of a sikha that discusses a lot of other things, but we're choosing one, one self-contained, one self-contained segment. Let's remember the story. Yosef discloses his identity to his brothers. After 22 years of separation and estrangement, finally, the family is reunited. He asks Yaakov to come down and relocate to Egypt, and Yaakov Avinu, who initially is terrified and afraid and doesn't want to do it, is told by Hashem, don't worry, don't be afraid, go down, I'm going to come down with you, and I'm going to go up with you. Now there's a very fascinating Pasuk, and that's going to be the Pasuk that's going to be explored here. It's the beginning of Shishi, it's uh, in Parshas Vayigash, the Pasuk says as follows, Yaakov is on the way to Egypt, and he says, Yehuda, he sends Yehuda before him to go to Yosef, and the words are Lahiris Lafan of Gaishna Vayavayu Artsa What does this mean, Lahiris Lafanov? Literally it means to show him the way, to show the path before him to Gaishan, and ultimately they arrive in the region of Gaishan. So Rashi asks the question, what does it mean he sends Yehuda Lahiris Lafan of Gaishna? So Rashi first quotes the Targum. The Uncle says that Yaakov sent Yehuda Lafana Kadamahi Lagaishan. It's like you send somebody in front of you, a messenger in front of you, you know, to prepare the path. 
to make sure everybody has a house. You know, you send somebody to check out the lay of the land and to uh, create the infrastructure to set to set up what has to be set up before Yaakov comes to Goshen, he sends Yehud. That's on a literal level. But then Rashi gives us the famous second interpretation. And what's the second interpretation to quote Rashi? Yeah, the first interpretation, again, is to, 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 to make sure that Yaakov could settle and the whole family could settle and everything is prearranged. Before Yaakov comes, Shalach Lefonov. But then Rashi gives a second interpretation from Medrash Agoda. What's the second interpretation? So the Rebbe says, Zokt Rashi B'Shem HaMedrash. Rashi quotes this from Medrash. And as it says in 23, this is Medrash Tanchuma Vayigash and Yalkut Shemaini. The Medrash says, he sends him lahayres lefanav lasakin leibeis talmud shemisham teitzehira. Lahayres lefanav goishna is much deeper than just showing him the way. Lahayres lefanav actually is he asks Yehuda and he sends him to build a yeshiva, to fix up, to create a base talmud, a house of learning shemisham from there teitzehira should emerge direction to the young Jewish family. Spiritual guidance, spiritual mentorship, hayra, like we say, mitziyah in teitzei soyro, dvar Hashem Yerushalayim, the Navi says in Yeshaya. La hayra is lafan of goishna, create a place from where hayra is going to come. Hayra means lessons, directions, guidance, like you say, a mayra hayra, somebody who provides a path in life. That's why he sends Yehuda. He wants Yehuda to build the first yeshiva in Egypt, in Goshen. Yeshiva's Goshen called Beis Talmud. As Yaakov at Faraiz Geshik Yehudin came with Sremich, they said, I know it in Dartna Beis Talmud, a Yeshiva of learning Torah. Zen Midderfun. So the Rebbe says, we immediately see something from here. Before we get into the, to dissecting the story. As Bashar Sayyid of Kumen in Anaya Medina, Tafit some Alam Ersten Bavarin, Nachfazan Kumenahin, as in the Medina Zalzana Mokum Torah, while Torah is the Gansakim on Leben von Ayidin. Why couldn't Yaakov have Yehuda build the yeshiva once they arrive? So the Rebbe says, no. When a Jew is arriving in a new country, he has to make sure that even before he arrives, there should already be a space for Torah in this new place. Because Torah is the very existence and life of the Jewish people. So it's not enough that when he comes there, we're going to build the yeshiva. Because then we're missing oxygen for the first few days. When you arrive there, there's already a place that has a yeshiva, because then you're coming to a different place. You're coming to a place where there is a base Talmud, where there's a yeshiva. You're already coming into a space that has been sanctified, that has the sacredness of Torah in it, because that's the existence of a Jew. So it's not just something, we'll come, we'll build a committee, we'll plan it, we'll think about it a few years later, maybe we'll build something. Before I come there already, I want you to build the yeshiva. So you're arriving into a place where there is... It's not similar. It wouldn't be, it wouldn't be the same if you arrive to a place where you have to build Torah. There's already a base Talmud there. That's what we see from here. A, a, a powerful and fascinating lesson about, about all of Jewish history. And the truth is, it's not the focus of the Shia today, but if you look throughout Jewish history, you'll see that this was a pattern that was constantly maintained. What Yaakov set in motion would be continued throughout Jewish history and would be the 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 chutashedra, the spine, the backbone of Jewish communities and Jewish lives 
throughout thousands of years. So for example, Nebuchadnezzar, before he destroys the Beis HaMikdash, he exiles Hacharaj Vahamazge, some of the best and the greatest of the Jewish community, Yechanya Melech Yehuda, Mardechai, they go to Bavel. And as the Gemara describes, these are people filled with Torah, they right away create learning centers in Babylonia, which becomes one of the most powerful, if not the most powerful center of learning from almost 15, you have a yeshiva that lasts for around 1500 years. Unheard of. Unheard of in Jewish history. <laughs> That's right before Churban Bayis Rishon. They're relocating to a new country. They're going to go to Bavel. They're going to go to other places. They make sure there's a yeshiva. Rabbi Yochanan ben Zakkai is about to watch the destruction of the second base Amigdash. And he has three things he asks of Vespasian. One of the things is tenli yavna v'chachameh. We need a yeshiva. We need a place of learning. Yavna v'chachameh. The Roman emperor didn't think that acquiescing to his request for Yavna is going to be significant. But in fact, almost 2,000 years later, where's Vespasian? Where's Titus? Where's Caliglia? Where's Pompey? Where's Adrian? Where's Tiberius? Where are they? They're in Wikipedia. The yeshiva still exists. Yavna v'chachameh still exists. And this would happen again and again. And in places where it didn't happen... For example, the community that created the United States, the Jewish community that created the United States of America that was not the focus of the people who first immigrated here. It caused mass assimilation. We lost in America in the 1900s, probably between one and two million Jews, not because of a physical holocaust, because of spiritual assimilation. So this is the lesson we have from Yaakov. But now let's go, let's, let's get deeper into the story. Dafman Abifashtein. Why did Yaakov feel the need to send Yehuda on a special mission before him to establish a place of Torah? Yosef was there already. So he could have sent a message to Yosef and asked Yosef to build it. Furthermore, our sages tell us the Gemara says from the days, all the days of our forefathers, they never ever dwelled without a yeshiva, without a place of learning. They created an environment of learning and of spiritual growth. It's an incredible piece of Gemara. Avram was sitting in Yeshiva, Yitzhak was sitting in Yeshiva, Yaakov was sitting in Yeshiva, by Yosef and Mestamaycha Zegeva. Yosef, who Eila told us Yaakov Yosef, Yosef was so close to Yaakov. Yosef perpetuated Yaakov's legacy. Chazal tell us that everything Yaakov learned from Shem and Neighbor, he gave over to Yosef, as Rashi brings the beginning of Vayeshev. So Yosef certainly also had times and spaces of learning. Especially as Chazal tell us in Bereshit Rabbah and Rashi Vayeshev, I just mentioned it from Pasuk, Ben Skunimule, as Yaakov at Ibn Yebin Yosef, Kol Mashalomat. Ben Skunimule doesn't only mean he was a son who was born when Yaakov was older. Benjamin was much, was much younger than Yosef. Ben Skunim means that he is the one who received the wisdom, Zakin Zeshekanachach, the wisdom of Yosef, of Yaakov. On the Pasuk in Vayigash, it says that Yaakov saw the wagons that Yosef sent and Yaakov was revived. Yosef, so what do the Chazal say? 
What was it about the wagons that so inspired Yaakov? You see wagons? He heard that Yosef was alive, but the wagons? So what did Chazal say? You remember? As Yosef Gigeben Asim and Yaakov of the Helchis Egla Roof of Us Yaakov at Metim Yosef told the brothers to remind Yaakov about the halachas of the Agolis. Agolis is a wagon. Agolis are also calves. An Egla is a calf. The last thing that Yaakov learned with Yosef 22 years earlier, before he sent him to his brothers with the halachas of Egla Arufa, which I'll discuss later in Chumash, it's the halacha of somebody who was found in the field, he's slain, we don't know who the murderer is, and the whole procedure, what we do in order to try to um, find the one who is responsible for the horrific crime and to ensure that it doesn't happen again, to atone for the blood of this innocent man, the halachas of Egla Vayaris HaGolos, Yaakov Avinu saw the Egla Arufa, he saw that Yosef 22 years later still remembered the sugyas of Egla Arufa. Ah! Un Yosef sanagiz dachivere nazah hoiche madregaz Yaakov Adiruf gizok durav oid Yosef b'ni chai. Oichle de hoicher havonof un Yaakov Avinu is Yosef given chai. Biza dosat gevigt avertechi ruach Yaakov Avim sharsalov shechina de shechina dvidigirut of Yaakov when Yaakov saw that Yosef, throughout all of the journeys and all of the tumultuousness, still was so anchored in his faith and so anchored in the wisdom of Yaakov Avinu of Torah, and still remembered Vayaris HaGolos, the Egla Rufa, the halachas that he learned with Yaakov, this not only allowed Yaakov to feel good that the physical Yosef was alive, he saw that the spiritual Yosef was alive. Yosef was alive. Rav, Yosef, Bni Chai. Chai, not just biologically. Chai, according to the standards, what life means, what it means to live according to Yaakov Avinu's standards of life. To the point that the Shechina finally dwells on Yaakov Avinu. Shorsal of Shechina, as Chazal say. Rashi brings from the Targum, from Avaz de Rebnosen, that at last the Shechina once dwells, dwells finally at Yaakov after all these years of, of deep, deep despair or deep sadness and melancholy. So if Yosef is still learning what Yaakov taught him 22 years ago, and Yosef was completely saturated with Yaakov's Torah even more than other brothers to some extent, because Yaakov taught him uniquely ben skunimulai, so send a message to Yosef to build a yeshiva. And if I may add, if I may add, it's also from a, from a financial point of view, it's much better. <laughs> if it's Yosef's yeshiva, you don't have to worry about a mortgage. You don't have to worry about nudging the parents for tuition. You don't have to make dinners. You don't have to make banquets. You don't have to go fundraising. Imagine the only yeshiva in Jewish history without a deficit. If Yosef has the yeshiva, he has all the real estate, all the resources, all the money, all the food. Amachaya. But Yaakov sends Yehuda individually as Yehuda Shalach Lufan of Lois Lufan of Gershna, not Yosef. Ches. As is Yadua, the Untershade Sufficient Madrega from Yosef and the Madregas from Yaakov and the Shvatim. It's known, it's discussed in various sources in Chsidis, the difference between Yosef and Yaakov and all the other brothers. And as he says in 29, you have this in Teres Chaim, which is from the Mittler Rebbe, you have it in Sefer Mitzvah Tzamech Tzedek, you have a Mayim Metofresh Chavtes from the Rebbe Mahanash, and it's many of, we've learned some of these materials in past years, we learned earlier in the week from Lekut Yisichis, the whole uniqueness of Yosef, but that's going to be discussed now. Yaakov Avinu, Nazoyech, the Oves, Avram, and Yitzhak, and the Shvatim, and again, abgesundet von Eilam Hazer. For the Fadam, they are going to be able to say, 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 they are
I hope you know what fitidin shof means. The Avos, Avram and Yitzchak, Yaakov Avinu, his sons, the Shvatim, were all segregated from the mundane physical world to some degree. That's why they chose as a vocation shepherds. Shepherds who are involved with grazing and nurturing their flock. To minimize their interaction with the tumultuous, the stress, the anxiety of the vanities and falsehood and mundaneness of the world so that it shouldn't distract them to their praising their Creator, their connection to Torah, serving God, extolling the majesty of the Creator, singing songs, meditating, praying, studying, learning. So they spent time in the hills and the valleys of Canaan with the innocent, beautiful flock, with streams and brooks, nurturing them, enjoying nature, in commune with nature, singing God's praises and celebrating the majesty of the Creator and the creation as a expression of the Creator. Yosef's life is very different. Yes, as a young child, he's still helping his brothers as a shepherd. The Pesach says in the beginning of Parshas Vayeshev. But very soon, his entire vocation changes. He's not a shepherd anymore. He's sold as a slave. And he's not just this quiet slave who keeps to himself and does his work. Petifra immediately appoints him to run all of his estates, his entire estate and all of his assets. The Pesach says, He came home to do his work. That's the day when Petifra's wife tries to persuade him to be promiscuous with him. And what did the Targum say? He has to examine all of the calculations. He's in charge, not only on everything, he's also in charge on the accounting. In other words, there is serious work and involvement with the details and the nitty-gritty of the vanities and all of the aspects of Petifra's life. Later, he's in charge on the prison, and then later, <laughs> it really takes a turn. He's now in charge of the whole Egypt. Pari says nobody was going to lift their arm or their leg without your permission. That means Yosef is the one who has control and is the one who's supervising everything that's going on in Egypt, not just collectively, individually. Yosef, you're the man, under Paray, the second in command, the Prime Minister of Egypt, the Viceroy of Egypt. This is a very, very stressful life. This is an extremely engaged life. He is entangled and enmeshed and involved with everything that's going on in Egypt. He's running its, not only its economy, not only its entire economy, but he's running the entire country. Alpicha Yishek Kol Ami. Pari says, my nation will be nurtured and sustained through you. This is not a life of isolation, of insulation, of segregation, of transcendence. This is a life of absolute involvement within the culture, within the lifestyle, style, the Weltanschauung, the Zeitgeist, the economy, the Holech 
of Egyptian life. And nonetheless, and nonetheless, Yosef retains his ultimate tveikus. The same Yosef who sat as a child and learned Torah with his father. All of his involvement with Egyptian culture did not distract him to remain in absolute connection and tveikus with Hashem. His intimacy with Hashem anchored in his core serenity and faith, even when he was involved with so much chaos and so much stress, he remained serene at his core. What is the difference between the two? The Shvatim could not fathom Yosef's Mahalach. For them, for Judaism to build and survive, you have to be in a state of innocent, of innocence, in a spiritual cocoon, in a place where you can sense the closeness of God and sing the praises of God and live in that environment. They couldn't fathom and understand Yosef's Mahalach. There was a fundamental difference here. Das meint, as by Yosef in ad gegleuchten begoloi de madrege von Gettlichkeit, was his hecher von zu sein am Mokker of Eulamus. Was dorten hat Welt in ganzen kein betreffenet, ob meilis ne chayach zu sagen, as de inyonem und tirdes von Welt, sollen im vernehmen, um me walbel sein zu sein dweikes belikus. This is a very profound observation. This means that Yosef has to be rooted in a deeper space of spiritual connection. Yosef has to be so deeply connected to the infinity of God that the tumultuousness of the Egyptian reality will not be able to deter him and take him away from it. Yosef is connected to the aspect of divinity that completely transcends the worlds. It's completely infinite, and therefore there's no space that it will not be expressed and it will not be manifested. In other words, Yosef is so beyond that he can go everywhere. Some people can't go everywhere. They have to remain in a confined space in order to hold on to their integrity. But Yosef is so connected, he can go into the lion's den, so to speak, and come out on scale. And that's what happens. He's in Potiphar's wife. He's in Potiphar's house. She tries to have him engage in immoral, in immoral acts. And even in that space, a 17-year-old boy, she threatened him with everything, and ultimately he'll end up in prison, an innocent boy for doing the right thing. But nowhere, no situation, did Yosef ultimately become detached, because he is rooted in such a deep place of connection with godliness, it completely transcends the world, so he can be anywhere, and he still holds on to that relationship. He still holds on to that connection. Hagam euch bei der Abbas und der Schwatem hat mehr gewonnen Alakus begilui. Idus aber dem Adrego in Alakus was tut sich an in Welt. Bemeldes verstandig as Welt vernimmt dort an Ort. Und der Fahrzeug, als er gewonnen reiht sein, abgetragen von Welt herdes, bechdedi in Jani ha Eulam soll nicht sein kein Stärk zu sein ständig verbunden wegs mit den Neibersten. Aber bei Yosef hat mehr gewonnen als auch im Adrego von Alakus. Was is hecher from welt, um poilt in it, in an öffen von seuviv, bemeilat in geken sein, vernummen in tirdes von welt, um gleichzeitig sollen sie im nit me walbel sein zu sein, tachlis hat wekes belikus. He says, the others, especially the shvatim, by them godliness was also revealed, was also manifested. You're talking about the others and the shvatim, shifte yutke, Great, great people, spiritual giants, 
divine people, people who were in touch with divinity in a very real way. But he says, when you talk about a relationship with godliness, there is a lakus that completely transcends the universe. We often talk about Soiviv Kalalman versus Mamali Kalalman. From the Zohar, the Balatanya explains, Soiviv Kalalman is the infinity of God that completely transcends the world. Mamali Kalalman is the infinity of God, but the way it's enclosed and manifested within the individual structure of our cosmos. Both are very true. The Zohar says, Iu Soiviv, Iu Mamali. So he says, Yosef came from Soiviv. The Shvatim came from Amale. When you come from Soiviv, you can go anywhere. <laughs> when you come from Soiviv Kalalman, you can go everywhere. This is a continuation to what we learned in the previous Shurim about Yosef HaTzadik. Specifically over there, we learned that there's three levels, the Avis, the Shvatim, and Yosef. For the Avis, there was no Tzimtzum, so they remained above the world. For the Shvatim, there was a Tzimtzum, and they had to run away from the Tzimtzum. And Yosef transformed the Tzimtzum. Here, the Isis, it's more general. He's dividing it into two sections. Yosef is Soiviv. The Shvatim are Mamale. Mitzat Soiviv. What's Soiviv? Soiviv is the pure, unadulterated infinity of Elikus that completely, completely transcends the universe. The Alter Rebbe, the Baltan says in the Kudatayr Shirashirim, Loizel Iker Elikus Mashaylam is Mishavim Mimeno. Do not define Hashem as a creator. That doesn't define Him. The main thing of Hashem is not that the worlds come from Him. We look at Hashem and say, wow, look at what He made. But that's only a product of His creation, which represents really a very external level of achievement, of, of achievement. The intimacy of God is completely beyond. So when somebody is in touch with that, they don't get nispoled from the world. The world doesn't have... It doesn't occupy that mental space in them. They're completely anchored in absolute transcendence. They can be everywhere. So Yosef HaTzadik can be the prime minister of Egypt. He can run the whole economy of Egypt. He can be practically the king of Egypt, which is not a Jewish nation, dressed in Egyptian garb, speaking the Egyptian language, and yet his dveikus and elikus is not diminished even on iota. It's not compromised even a bit. That's Yosef. For the brothers, that would be spiritually suicidal. They could not do that. Because you have to know who you are. You have to know what your shlichus is. The brothers are rooted in Memale Kalaman. What's Memale? Memale is the level of godliness that is enclosed in the world. It's manifested in the world. The world occupies a serious space over there. So you can't just be everywhere and remain completely connected. Because the reality of your environment and the circumstances of your environment have a very, very, very impact, a very serious impact on you. And therefore they have to choose to go into isolation. They choose to become shepherds. They choose to go away from the tumultuousness, from the stress, from the anxiety, from the tears, from the stress, so that they shouldn't have something that undermines their dveikas and Hashem. Yes, their circumstances are very important. Where they live, how they live, their environment. They can't, they don't have that kayach of Yosef to be able to be the prime minister of Egypt. That's why the Pesach says, Vayakar Yosef is kiru. He recognized his brothers. They did not recognize him. So Rashi says, because the beard. He left them without a beard and now he had a beard. He was 17 and now he's 30. Now he's 30, uh, 39, 38, 39. He has a beard. 
It's a lot of years later. The Balatanya says, Yosef recognized the Avoida of his brothers. They could not recognize him. They couldn't understand. They couldn't appreciate the Avoida of Yosef because he came from Soiviv. If you don't come from Soiviv, you can't be Teufus Davida. Remember, we can talk about a lot of things, but we're talking about not talking about them, experiencing it. I can talk about Soiviv, I can talk about Mamalech, Kenedim, and Ganalts. I'm not talking about, it's experiencing it. The Shvatim, their experience was Mamale. What does it mean their experience was Mamale? They were connected with Elikus, that is Mitzumtzum, that is restricted, that fills the space of the world. Everything in the world is divine energy, but it's divine energy that is compressed, that fills, just like water fills the cup, it has to be tailor-made and accustomed and harnessed and channeled that it should be able to fill this cup. The same is true with every cell of your body and every Every single creature in the world has divine energy, but it's divine energy that is contained within the structure of that existence, of that reality. So therefore, the world is a very serious space. It's a serious arena. And therefore, the world has a tremendous impact. And the Shvatim know that there are certain places they can't be. There's certain things they can't get involved in because it's just going to take them away. They cannot go into that space like Yosef. Yosef could go into the thicket of moral darkness and ambiguity and ambivalence. Most people would get confused. They would get torn. They would be dichotomized. That's the secret of the Ksoynes Pasim. The multicolorful tunic that Yaakov gives Yosef. Yosef is the one who has the gift to be able to come into a world that's so multicolorful and instead of becoming conflicted and instead of becoming distracted and dichotomize a split identity, Yosef is the one who can reveal the oneness, the mosaic, the tapestry. When you face so much diversity and fragmentation, two things can happen. Either you yourself become a fragmented person, you don't know who you are, or... If you come from the place of Soiviv, you're completely not defined by the world. So therefore, you can create a vision of oneness. That's Yosef is a poiser chaloimus. He interprets dreams, poiser oisius teifer. He sews everything together. He can unify heaven and earth. The Shvatim live already in a post-Simpsom reality. In a post-Simpsom reality, you're defined by the world. And because you're defined by it, you have to create certain boundaries. Yosef comes from a place that is so infinitely beyond Saiv of Kalalmin that nothing, the fragmentation of the world doesn't split him apart. It doesn't dichotomize. On the contrary, he is the one who could reveal the multicolorfulness of creation. He can show that within the diversity of the cosmos, there is Achtos, there is the oneness of Asha. That's the uniqueness of Yosef, and this was the misunderstanding. It was very difficult for them to understand that Yosef can dream about things that they don't dream about. Yosef is the entrepreneur of Judaism. They are not. They are living in a place of, of spiritual holiness and sacredness and transcendence. Yosef is, is an entrepreneur. That's what he's dreaming. He's a dreamer. Balachaloimus. And he's a doer. And what are his dreams? All the sheaves are going to bow down to me. In other words, he wants to become the most influential businessman in the world. Remember, agriculture then is like real estate today. Everything was agriculture. All the And then the sun and the moon and the stars are all going to bow down to me. In other words, he doesn't only want control on earth, he also wants control in heaven. What are we dealing with? Narcissism? It can be understood that way. This is spirituality. In Yosef's world everything can ultimately become one. Why? Because he comes from such a profound place, which is what Chassidus calls Soiviv Kalalman, beyond Mamala Kalalman.
Because, in the Rebbe's words, the Welt hat nicht kein Zwischen He's so beyond, the world mamash doesn't occupy a space, and therefore, he can go into every place and he can see the oneness everywhere. He does not become affected by the external veneer of circumstances. This is the uniqueness of Yosef. And this is why we learned in the previous Sikhin from Chelek Chafei that we learned why Yosef is the one who sustains the Jewish people throughout Golos. Because what gives Jews the power to be able for millennia to survive and thrive and not become assimilated and to be involved in a world and yet not to lose their identity and their dvekos. What allows me not to remain above Tzimtzum and not to run away from Tzimtzum, but to transform Tzimtzum to make goy legula, this is the gift of Yosef. This is the paradigm that Yosef established. This is now only going to invite the big question. So why is Yosef not building the yeshiva? So Yosef should build the yeshiva. This comes the Lubavitch Rebbe and says, and now there's another thing to understand. Siftas. Is the river, when er is beschäftigt, äußert teure, euch mit anderen Sachen, chodsch, das ist ein Alpi teure. Und er ist euch dann am Merkowitz-Elekus, fällt aber in dem Tachlis Ayichot von den Menschen mit teure, der vollständige Vereinzige kann sein, nur dann, wenn teure aus ihm noch sei, und er hat nichts zu tun mit keinen anderen Sachen, afilu in jenem Schalpi teure. Here, till now, anybody who learns the Rebbe's Sichis in Chsidus Bechlal, knows a little bit about the, knows a little bit or a lot about this mahalach. The ability that to understand that the person who is much more anchored in faith and much more godly, nothing disturbs them and therefore they can be in the midst of a very physical and mundane reality and scream Ein Oid Mulvada. Because Ein Oid Mulvada Hadurakinum in the Kishkis. They're not only in shul and in their isolated community screaming in Eid Mulvadeh. They can go to corners where other people would get lost. They would completely get lost. They can go there and reveal the unity of Hashem there. And, and that's something absolutely astounding. If you don't get it, you look at Yosef and you say, eh, this is, this is, this is endangering Judaism. If you get it, Va'aviv Shomer Sadava, Yaakov understood, this is the secret of Yiddishkeit. <laughs> this is what's going to sustain it. And you see that throughout all of the generations, Adayoimaza. Now, the Rebbe is going to say, but there's something true, and now we're going to focus on a point which is apparently a very different and opposite point. Not a contradiction, but a very different point. The Rebbe says, Alts Emes, all of this is true. Yosef is Lasas Malachte Bekisve Chushbena. And he's involved in the stresses of running Egypt, and still he's dvekus in elikus. He's completely one. This is true about his soul, where he comes from, who he is, his energy, his neshama. Then, but there's another aspect, and that's limud haTorah, learning Torah. There's learning Torah on many levels, but the ultimate of learning Torah is the person becomes completely unified with Torah. 
famous chapter in Tanya, chapter 5 in Tanya, chapter 23 in Tanya. Balatanya says when a Jew learns Torah and completely immerses himself in Torah, he says, you're learning a Mishnah, you're learning a Shtikl Gemara. The Torah is telling you if Reuven says this and Shimon says this, the verdict should be like this. The story may have never happened, it may never will happen, it may never happen. But this halacha is God's mind, it's God's wisdom, it's chachmas yeshalakadosh baruch When a person toils in it and understands it and internalizes it, he says the unity that you have with Hashem's mind, Hashem's wisdom, which is one with Hashem, is an unparalleled unity, a unity that doesn't exist in the physical world. For a person to be completely unified with Torah, there is what we call Torah nasi. The Gemara says in Shabbos about Rajbi. Torah means the Torah is his fach, the Torah is his trade. In other words, that his entire life, his entire headspace is immersed only in Torah. When a person is involved with other things, even though it's according to Torah, it's permitted according to Torah, it may even be important according to Torah. And the person may be a Merkavet which means the person may be completely aligned with Hashem, they're doing it as God's ambassadors, as God's missions. It's true, but the Rebbe says, but there is missing that ultimate unity with Torah. Not because they're doing something wrong, not because they're doing something bad. This is not criticism. It's appreciating the diversity of Avaidas Hashem. But that aspect is missing. The complete oneness with Torah can only exist by person There's nothing involved in his life outside of Torah. Now, is that true? Can that be true for every person? No. For Yosef, his mission was something very different. He had to go where he had to go because Hashem sent him there. If he would say, no, 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 I want to be, remain a shepherd, that's treason. Yom Kippur, the Kohen can go into Kodesh HaKadoshim. After Yom Kippur, he has to leave Kodesh HaKadoshim. What is it? I want to be in Kodesh HaKadoshim my whole life. You're not allowed to be in Kodesh HaKadoshim your whole life. You have to go out of Kodesh HaKadoshim. Torah is Kodesh HaKadoshim. That's where the luchas are. Maybe I have to go out of Kaidash HaKadoshim, but it's not like Kaidash HaKadoshim. There's something unique. There's something about Tairasa Yomnasa, a Jew, that there's nothing in his world or her world outside of Torah. Because Torah is the ultimate Yichud, the ultimate oneness with Alakus, in a very powerful, manifested way. So he says, even though, in terms of Yosef's Neshama, he comes from Saiv of Kalaman, and therefore he can be in Egypt and retain his complete oneness with Hashem, but nonetheless, there is something unique about that person that his entire life, his entire brain, his entire world is nothing but Torah. Elept, he lives, he breathes, that's his oxygen is Torah 24 hours a day. He says 33. He references another Sikh of the Lubavitcher Rebbe. Next year was Sukkot Tavshin Chav Gimel, Sukkot 1962. We make a bracha on the Tilas Lulav. Why not a bracha on the Esrik? The esrig has a flavor and has a smell. The lulav only has a flavor, not a smell. The hadas only has a smell. The arava has neither. So it says in halacha, because the lulav is the tallest. So we make a bracha on the tilas lulav. Why don't we say, on the tilas dalad minim? No, on the tilas lulav. 
So the Rebbe explains that the fact that the lulav is the tallest represents something that's not just physical, it's tall, it protrudes, it's conspicuous, it represents something spiritual. The lulav represents the Jew of Torah. The estrig represents the Jew of Torah and mitzvahs. It has a flavor and it has a smell. The hadas is the Jew of mitzvahs. And the arav is the Jew who is missing in both. Who would be greater, the lulav or the estrig? The estrig, the estrig has tam and reyach. The estrig has Torah, flavor, and mitzvah, smell, good, good aroma. The lulav only has taste. The lulav doesn't have a good smell. It has a great taste, a date tree, palm tree. Nonetheless, the bracha is on the tilas lulav. Why? Based on this, we'll be able to understand. And it'll become clear a little soon, because obviously, every Jew needs Torah and mitzvahs, but there's something unique, something exceptionally tall about the lulav, who has nothing else in his world besides Torah. That's the lulav. Even the Esrig, because there's also an involvement in mitzvahs, and there has to be an involvement in mitzvahs, ultimately it mitigates a little bit. It dilutes a little bit. The yichud, the oneness with flavor, with Torah, because there are different interests, there are different pursuits. So again, the question is not right or wrong. The question is, what's your shlichus in the world? What's your mission in the world? Azevi Abaya had so amazing story in Mesechta Erevind of Samachay Abaya said, As when it gedav tona filo aleichta arbet fa zain aim, the flavors at him gehadavit, hat a semivalbil gewen von zain limud hatayra. Abaya says, Abaya was an orphan. But he said, when the woman who raised him, yeah, she asked him to do even a light work, not something significant. It took him away from his learning. It, it, it created a distraction, created a bilbo. Why? The answer is because Abaya's relationship with Taina was such that it's his entire, entire life. And anything else was already a bilbo. We see even more. Baltanya explains is a very big difference between learning Torah before the wedding and the first three, two, three years after the wedding before you have many children. So then you could learn Torah without the stress and anxiety of making a living and the learning Torah afterwards. I, he explains in Hilchas Talmud Torah, even later, it could be you have a rich father, a rich father-in-law, they're supporting you. So even though you have pressure, but you're not very stressed because maybe you have money for Parnassah. But he says, just the yoke, because you have the responsibility to support your family and you're obligated to support your family, it's not the same type of learning like before the wedding. Das ist euch der Tam. The fir elen island from limud hatayda al derech vim beis hamikdash is divas vilantandi avoided from the beis hamikdash. 
the Dalad Amos Shalach of a son, Stotta Vedas Amirish Dav Baze, Eichnit Zain, Kane Zaitik and Yonam Isolimuda Taira. Tairosum Dav Zainum Nosum, Beloshna Rambam, Keloshna Rambam, Levi, Huvda Lavadus Hashem, Lofich, Huvda Lumidarke Oilam, Veloy Shevet Levi Belvad, Elakol Ishri Ish, Mikol Boy Oilam, Ashanod Verukhoyos. This is the reason the Rambam explains at the end of Hilcha Shmita Vayevo that the Levim, the Levim, the Kayanim, whose entire occupation and vocation in life was to serve in the base Hamikdash and to teach Jews Torah. They were not allowed to have and own a plot in Eretz Yisrael. Why? Why can't they have a little real estate? You're taking the land, you're dividing it among all the Jewish people. Why can't Shevet Levi? They were given places to live. But no ownership. They were not allowed to own an inheritance in Eretz Yisrael. Why? What's the big deal? Why can't they own their piece of land? So the Rebbe says something fascinating. Because this would already be a distraction to their Avaidah. If you're not from Shevet Levi, you need a plot in Eretz Yisrael. That's your Avaidah. For them, it would be a distraction to their Avaidah. Because the moment I have karka, the moment I have territory, I already have an achiza. I already, there's something that holds me to the ground. I'm already a terrestrial person. The Kayan and the Levi, their entire mental space, their entire neshama is in the base Hamikdash and in teaching Torah. Complete transcendence. This is their shlichus. This is their mission. This is the the, 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 the picture. This is the color of their soul. This is the design of their neshama. This is their vocation in life. If I can't have a plot, no. You can have a plot, but then you won't be able to be alive. You won't be in tune to who you are. And you have to know this. So the Rebbe says the same is true now. The Gemara says in Brachas Davches, when the Beis Hamikdash was destroyed, Hashem has one place in the world. Dalad Amash Lalacha, the four cubits of Halacha. So there are those whose job is to take the Dalad Amash Lalacha and spread it far and wide, and bring it into Mitzrayim. But he says, those who want to stay in the Beis HaMikdash, those who are charged to stay in the Beis HaMikdash, those who want to stay in the Dalet HaMashallah, they're like the Levim and the Kayanim. They cannot have any other concerns or distractions outside of Torah. Torah this is what I breathe, this is what I live, this is what I think, this is what I do in the morning, in the afternoon, at night. Torah and Avayda Sashem. And that's what the Rambam says in the end of that Levi was completely separated from the world to serve Hashem. And he says, it's not only Shevet Levi, any person who wants to do this can do it, but it's a whole different life. And this is the example that the Lubavitcher Rebbe brings from Abaya. To quote the Gemara about Abaya, Erevind of Samachai, Amr Abaya Abaya if my mother, and again, Abaya's mother himself, Abaya's mother died during childbirth. So when he mentions his mother, he's referring to the stepmother who raised him. If she tells me, Kariv Kutche, pass me, she asks me to pass her some kutach, which is basically a routine chore. It's something that, that is very normal. Kutach was a famous dip that was used in Babylonia, and Abaya lived in Babylonia. Rashi says, Afilut Sivui Avoide Kala. She's asking me to do a light shore, not something difficult. Light tonight, I couldn't learn with the normal concentration because of this distraction. Rashi says, Now we might find that to be very humorous and a little strange. 
Your stepmother who raised you asked you to pass you the kutuch. Abaya was not saying he's not going to pass the kutuch. He will pass the kutuch. But you have to know that it created a distraction. Omar Rav, Rav says, if I was bitten by a louse, I could not learn with the normal concentration. What does this mean? Rav says, I could not learn because kratston kina, I was bitten by a kina, by a louse. So Abaya and Rav, considered the great Talmudic sages of their day, Havayiz Abaya v'Rav, were all Talmudim of Abaya and Rav. What they were saying is that the level of devotion to Torah is such that any distraction, any distraction, results in something that compromises the intensity of Torah. Now, I know for many of us, it's very hard to understand this. What, what I got bitten by a mosquito, so now I can't learn anymore? Okay, so I scratch it for a few minutes. <laughs> or whatever else you use an anointment for your mosquito. But somebody asked me to pass me the tissues, to pass me a piece of food, especially your stepmother? Who is it? It's not a stranger. Abaya is not talking about the mitzvah of kibbut ein. We're doing somebody a favor. Abaya and Rav are just explaining to us, and it's hard for us to understand what it means. What it means. But the Rebbe says, let's be sensitive to this. These were people that their learning of Torah, it filled their entire identity. You know, if somebody's in a state of absolute meditation for hours and hours and hours and hours, interrupting it with any conversation takes them out of that zone. For them, the Torah was not just their learning Torah, their learning information. It was, they went into a zone, a zone of divine transcendence, a zone of the slightest thing would already bring them down from the mountain. Now, can everybody say this is their avoidant? No. Abaya and Rava, they were Torah Nosam. They were the teachers of Torah of their generation. And this is the idea of the Leviim not having a chelik v'nachl in Eretz Yisrael. This is the idea that the Leviim, or today the Leviim, those who are in Dalet Amashel Halacha, there's absolutely nothing else. Nothing else. Even small things. I, I own a house. I own real estate. My, my, a piece of my soul is somewhere else. You could be a one, again, you, we have to understand here the perspective. This is the first, the first part that brings out the mile of Yosef. Now the Rebbe is saying the whole other word. You have to know what God wants from you. In Kodesh HaKadoshim, there's nothing else. You can't be distracted with anything else. Even the smallest thing, you can't be distracted. You're in that, you're in that space. You're in that sacred space. Yehudin. <laughs> So Ah, now we know why Yaakov had to send Yehuda, and he would not rely on Yosef.
Says the Lubavitcher Rebbe, this is why Yaakov had to send Yehuda. He could not rely on Yosef. Yosef was learning. Yosef was a genius. Yosef was dedicated to Torah. Yosef was always one with Hashem in the midst of everything. That's true about his soul and his unique place in the world. The fact is, in terms of his learning, because he had so much on his head, he was collecting all the money of Mitzrayim for Yosef. He was running the whole Egypt. You can't say that his learning was one in which he was completely one with the Torah, that Torah became his sole occupation and sole trade. For Yosef, that was not a chisorin. It wasn't that we're criticizing Yosef. This was his shlichus. This was his mission. This is his greatness. And this is where it's so important to understand the Elo Vela Divrela Kim Chaim. Judaism is not made up of one model. For Yosef, if Yosef would say, yeah, I'm quitting everything, I'm going into Yehuda's yeshiva. This is not what God wants from you. I don't want you to be in Kedosh HaKadosh. I want you to run the Egyptian economy to be able to be Mekadosh Shemayim in Egypt, to be able to transform the Tzimtzum. But when Yosef gave a shear, when Yosef taught, when Yosef learned, it didn't have that level of oneness, intensity, the all-encompassiveness, the all-encompassing quality. Because Yosef had a lot of other things that he was involved in. Even though when he was involved in them, he was completely one with Hashem. He wasn't detached. He wasn't fragmented. But for the existence of the world, and Torah is the first pillar of the world, as it says in Pirkei Yavis, Yaakov had to send Yehuda. Yehuda was a shepherd. Yehuda was much more segregated from the world. He should build the yeshiva. He should build the base Talmud, where those who are learning should not be involved with anything else, even great things, even wonderful things, even if they would be involved as a Merkava, which means as a complete chariot, as a conduit for God. But their entire life, their entire life should be Torah, Torah, nothing but Torah. With no other purposes, with no other agendas, with no other involved incentives, even though those incentives may be amazing and those involvements may be purposeful and meaningful and for some, a great mitzvah. But this is the uniqueness of the type of yeshiva that Yaakov wanted to build. Something that's rooted in pure, unadulterated Kedusha and Tara of Torah. To put it in different words, Yosef represents the ultimate mission of the Jew to change the world. But who educates Yosef? Where does the education of Yosef come from? And here we are discovering a very powerful and subtle point. There, are, there is a real Yosef and a distorted Yosef. The distorted Yosef is somebody who integrates Judaism with the world because of the, their apologetic. They lack the spine. They lack the wholeness. In other words, they compromise their identity. They surrender their identity because they're very influenced by secular society. The secular Weltanschauung speaks to them. That's not Yosef. Yosef's involvement with the world was not coming from weakness. It was coming from strength. It was not coming because he was a split personality. It was coming because he was in touch with Ein Eid Malvade because he came from Saif of Kalalman. How do you create a Yosef? with the education of Yehuda. You can't create a Yosef to go out to the world and redo the tzimtzum if the education is compromised. The education must be one of unadulterated holiness, unadulterated alakos, unadulterated Torah. The education of the Jew, the foundation of the Jewish child, of the Jewish youth, must be created by Yehuda. Ves Yehuda shalach lefan of lefan of Because then you're anchored 
in a place that transcends confusion, that transcends dichotomy. If you're educated with ambivalence, with confusion, with paradoxes, you won't be able to transform the world. You will become a victim to it. You will get lost in the riffraff. You will get lost in the chaos. You will get lost in the ambivalence. Yaakov understands that the education of Klal Yisrael must be created by Yehud and not by Yosef. Yosef is the ultimate mission of changing the world. That's the mission. But who provides the foundation? If the foundation is not holistic, if the foundation is not unifying, if the foundation is not completely, completely saturated with the unmitigated purity of Yiddishkeit and of Torah, if it's not completely saturated with the pristine oil, the Shemen Zayizoch of Torah, if there's anything else involved, ultimately, it won't create that person like Yosef who can change the world. You can only change the world if you come from a place that transcends the world. Not everybody can be Yosef. Not everybody can be Yosef. But you can only be a Yosef if you come from a place that transcends. And as we said before, Yosef has to come even from a deeper place because he has to change the world. Yosef has to come from a deeper place. So that's why Yaakov understood that the Chinuch, the foundation, the base Talmud, must be one that is based on Teirosoy Yumnosoy. That there's nothing else but Torah. There's no confusion. There's not even occupation and stress that comes from any other involvement with anything else. That can create the core, the foundation of Kiyom Ha'olam, which with, will allow then those Jews who have that shlichus to be able to go out and transform the world. Yud Aleph. Everything in Torah is a lesson for generations, for eternity. What's the lesson of this? So listen to the lesson of the Lubavitcher Rebbe. Talmidim of Yeshiva, the Yeshiva of Yehuda, have to know that their life is only Torah. No connections to anything else. No other strings attached. Even though a person who says, I only know Torah, no only Torah, nothing else. So the Gemara says, you don't even have Torah. Gemara in Yuvam is Tafkuftah, somebody says, only Torah, nothing else. I feel a Torah in there, you don't have Torah. Because you need Torah, you need Gemilas Chesadim. You need Torah, you need Midas Tevis. You have to be a Jew. <laughs> Torah is not just an intellectual pursuit. Torah is holistic. Torah has to live in you. You have to be a mensch. You have to be a person of kindness, a person of gemilas chesadim. And he says that's why our Rebbe has demanded that even Talmidei Hayeshivas should dedicate time to be there for other people, to share Yiddishkeit with other people, to share with other people. He says true, 
but they have to remember that the avoid of Gimelas Chasadim should always be in a way that it doesn't take them away from their unity with Torah. Not Adirab. So Libdem Azayat Torah Zolzayin V'Yezdaft Zolzayin. The purpose of Gemilas Chasadim is that the Torah should really be the way the Torah has to be. It's all part of their learning Torah, because Torah is not intellectual only, Torah is divine, Torah is godliness. In order to understand Torah, you need humility, you need a deep, deep connection to Hashem, that's the Torah we're talking about. So you also need Gemilas Chasadim. And when we learn Torah in such a way, the world had and will have an enduring existence, because Torah is the very existence of the world. So here we see something fascinating. If somebody will ask you about the Lubavitcher Rebbe, this is back to my title, everybody knew that the Rebbe's vision, like Yosef was, to fix the whole world, <laughs> to change the whole world, to bring Mashiach, hundreds of sikhs and letters, the whole institution of shlichus. what's the institution of shlichus? It's Yosef. Go to a place, where there's a hunger in Ruchnius and a thirst in Ruchnius, and bring their Torah, bring their Yiddishkeit. And we have many people here in this class who are Yidin, who came close to Yiddishkeit because of this type of work of Yosef, of Shluchim, or other great Jews, Marbitzia Torah, who went out of their own cocoon and went into places where there's challenges and they raised their children there. And what they did was they brought godliness and Torah into spiritual deserts. The Midbar Be'eretz Loizrua, the vision of Yosef. And it was it's hard for people to understand. Some people initially didn't agree with it. This is not Judaism, this is going to endanger everybody. That's the vision of Yosef. But here we see in this Sikh of the Lubavitcher Rebbe, we also explains that's all true and all Gavaldic. But you have to understand that when you want to build a place that you're producing, you're producing the products who are going to change the world, that's built by Yehud and not by Yosef. Because for this relationship with the world to be one way, one way street, not a two way street, where you become the mashpia and you're not the makabal, where you define it and it doesn't define you, it's only when you're anchored in a Torah that is completely holistic and all encompassing. And that yeshiva is built through Yehuda. So that's why the Rebbe says, Talmidiyah yeshivas, their whole life has to be Torah and nothing else. Their oxygen is tighter, their, their bread is tighter, their butter is tighter, their night is tighter, their day is tighter. Then there's people who have different shlichasen, different missions. There are the Yehudas of the Jewish world, there are the Yosefs of the Jewish world. And anybody who's familiar with the sikhas of the Lubavitcher Rebbe knows that as much as the Rebbe spoke about the first point, he spoke equally about the second point. It's not so known. <laughs> but this is a fact. I heard the Rebbe, I had the schus to hear the Rebbe for many, many years, and to learn even that which he said in previous years, before I was born, and I came to age to be able to hear him live. As much as the Rebbe spoke about the first point, he spoke equally about the second point. And that's why, for me, it always felt so true, because the, the first point is very geschmack and beautiful, you know, Yosef taking over the world, but the Rebbe spoke with the same passion about the second point, as much as he spoke about the first point. When he would speak, speak about this Nakuda with Yehuda, with the, the, the only Torah, there's nothing but Torah, it would be the same passion, with the same emesdikait, like the second point. That's, that's where you saw that it was a lakus. I'm not stuck in my ego, or my intellectual uh, journeys, or this is the way, it's my comfort, I'm not stuck in my comfort zone. I'm an Eved Hashem. Kim. It's about the mission of Hashem. Yaakov Avinu understood the mission of the Jew is to change the world. But the foundation of the Jew, 
the education of the Jew must be provided by that philosophy, by that perspective, that inculcates within the Jewish child and within the Jewish young man and woman the complete devotion to Torah, Avas HaTorah, Avas Hashem, Avas Yisrael, the complete devotion to Torah of Enoid Mulvade, that world of holiness, of transcendence, where there's no chaos, where there's no confusion, where there's no stress and anxiety, even from things that are fine and wonderful and, and doing good things and being involved in good things. But there's something about the absolute, infinite oneness with Torah, as, as Abaye says, I couldn't be distracted by anything. And that's the uniqueness of what Yehuda gave the Jewish people in, 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 in Egypt. And, 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 bo- and both, and both are equally emes, as he says. There's Yosef's neshama. But when you wanted to ask who should run the yeshiva, this is not Yosef. It's Yehuda. Yosef should not be running the yeshiva. Yehuda has to run the yeshiva. Does Yosef have a Gavalda Kamila? Yeah, unbelievable. In many ways, Yosef is greater than Yehuda. <laughs> but, but who has to build the yeshiva? Who has to create the foundation of the yeshiva? It has to be. It has to be Yehuda. And on the contrary, when Yehuda creates the foundation of a yeshiva, you can pr- you can produce a you can produce a Yosef. And that's really the the famous the famous uh, shir we gave on Mardochai. Remember, at the end of the Megillah it says about Mardochai Ratzuli Roiv Echov. He was beloved by most of his brothers. So the Gemara says in Megillah, Dafta Zayin, Loi Lekal Echav. Pishu Mena Mikza Sanhedrin, Shabotl Mid, Divre Teire Venichnas Lashara. Some of the Sanhedrin separated themselves from Mardachai because he left the world of Teire and he went into politics. And it's very strange because Mardachai went into politics to save the Jewish people. <laughs> he saved the Jewish people from Haman and Achashverish. How can you criticize him? So the Rebbe once explained that Mordechai understood that his job is now to be in politics. It was an issue of pikuach nefesh. But the Megillah wants to say, there were those who disagreed because they said, after everything said and done, you went away from the world of Torah. True, when he came back from the palace 11 o'clock at night from Achashverosh's parties, Mordechai opened up a Gemara and he learned, learned for four hours until he fell asleep. In the morning when he woke up, he fell asleep, he, he sat and learned Torah. But all day he was in the palace. And he was criticized for it. So the Rebbe asked once on Purim, I think it was Purim Chafhei 65, why does the Megillah have to end on such a sour note? Like, the man saves Klal Yisrael. Oh, by the way, most people liked him. Why, why do this? And he said, this is, a, this, is, this is something that Mordechai needed to know and wanted to know. That even when you're in the palace, you should know, some of your brothers don't agree. In other words, Mordechai understood that I'm on the palace because there's a shlichus there. But who am I? Who am I naturally? Who am I, am I organically? Organically and naturally, I'm a, Hashem wants me to go to the palace. I'm in the palace. But who am I? Who am I within myself? I'm, I'm, I'm a Tayyid. And I always have to say to you, I always saw this by the Rebbe all the years. He was so involved, hundreds and thousands of institutions and communities around the world answering people's letters and answering people's questions and guiding individuals and guiding communities from all walks of life, Jews and Laodal, sometimes non-Jews, and intricately involved for decades and decades. But then you saw the moment that Rebbe went back, so to speak, to himself, it was right away, Ablad Gemara, Arashba, Arashi, Arambam, Aramban, Atoisvus, whether Nigla, Chsidis, Kabbalah, Chkira, Machshava, Tereshim, Ksav, Tereshim, Aperi, Shoyne, Machroyne, the, the, 
when the Rebbe would speak, Fabreng, he would start his Siyume Masechdi, so he got lost in it. He would get involved in a Rashi and a Rambam for hours. He was, this was his life. He went into Ganeid. Rabbi Label Groner, the Rebbe's secretary, once told me that he once went into the Rebbe's room. He had an important question. And he saw that the Rebbe was holding a Sefer. A Sefer just came out and it was given to him. And he was holding the Sefer. And he was pacing back and forth in his room, reading this new Sefer. And completely immersed. So he, he didn't have the, the, he didn't have the, the, he didn't feel right to disturb the Rebbe. So he went back in. He came back an hour later. Same, same position. He's pacing back and forth. He's already in the middle of the bad book. He said he came back throughout the whole day. He came back a few times until the Rebbe finished the Sefer. He's pacing back and forth. It, it teaches you something. It teaches you something. It was once after Hakafis and Chastayla, the Rebbe would dance hours and hours and hours. Somebody told me he went, the Rebbe came back to his room, was I think like seven o'clock in the morning. Soon he would go to Davin Shachris. After literally dancing all night. So he said he saw that the Rebbe opened up a Masechta Babakama and started to learn Babakama. It says about the Tzamach Tzedek, after Hakafis he would learn Chesh Mishpat. But in any case, that's why it says Ratzi Lerev Echav. In other words, Ratzil Rev Echav means that Mordechai was doing what he was supposed to do, but he had to know. And this is something inside of him he had to know. This is not your place. Achashvedish is not your place. You have a mission. Where's your place? Your place is in, is, is in an Apostolic Chumash, in, in Mishnayis, in Ablat Gemara, in Apedic Tanya. Your place is in Torah, in the world of Torah. That's your place. I'll conclude with a little story, a beautiful story. There was a Jew, his name was Herbert Weiner. Herbert Weiner was a reform rabbi in New Jersey who was a very mystical person. And in the 1950s, he began to search for the meaning behind Jewish spirituality. And he went to meet many, many great mystics from different groups of Judaism. He went to Eretz Yisrael and America. He wrote a book called Nine and a Half Mystics. Of course, the half-mystic is himself. He died a few years ago, I think, at the age of 106. In the book, he has a chapter, a visit 1955 to the Lubavitcher Rebbe. And before he went into his office, he spent time in the base medrash there in 770, in the Zal, it was a small Zal there, where the boys were learning. And he spoke to them for a few hours before he came into the Rebbe. And the conversation that he had with the Rebbe I'm telling you one line. I read it years ago and it left such an impact. He turned to the Rebbe and he said, I spoke to some of your boys in yeshiva and I felt a certain naivete. You're a very sophisticated person. You know the world. I felt that many of them are so cloistered and so naive and very closed-minded, you know. They, uh, I feel that you might be robbing them from the richness of God's diverse world and God's multicolorful universe. And the Rebbe looked at him, and he quotes this, and said, what you saw was not naivete, or closed-mindedness. You did not see that. What you saw was people who are not living with inner conflict. They are not split inside. 
They are not experiencing an inner dichotomy of who they are. They embrace their identity in totality. That's what you're seeing. He was experiencing a naivete, a sense of of closed-mindedness. And the Rebbe was saying there's a big difference between closed-mindedness, there's a big difference between somebody who's closed-minded and somebody who's very open-minded, but they're anchored. They know who they are. Not because I don't experience conflict. Every person experiences conflict. But somehow, I create space for my conflict, but I know who I am. I'm not split. I am anchored in an unshakable foundation. That doesn't mean I'm closed-minded. It means I'm singly, I'm directed, I'm focused. I'm entrenched in a reality and I will not go away from that place. I'm, I'm, I'm connected to something. Reb Meir Primishlana said, when you're connected above, you don't fall below. He explained why when he went to the mikveh, he can go on a slope and not fall and slip and break his feet like some other people who wanted to mock him. Because when you're connected above, you don't fall below. Sometimes a person is closed-minded, they're just so sheltered, they don't know about anything else. That can come from naivete. The Rebbe said, I'm not trying to train naive people. I am trying to train soldiers who are going to change the world as God's ambassadors. And in order to change the world, you have to be anchored in a space that is so powerful. Because when you're going to go into difficult circumstances and people will mock you and make fun of you, if you don't know who you are and you don't have perspective... You will never be able to thrive. Certainly you will never be able to transform them. But to be able to transform them, you in a way you have to have a tremendous open-mindedness. And that's the unique paradox that we're seeing here. Yosef is not afraid of anything. I'm not afraid of anything. But that's because there's a chinuch that comes from Yaakov. And there's a chinuch that comes from Yehud, and that chinuch is completely wholesome. There's a holistic oneness. Miksha'achas, the menorah has to be made of one piece. So the Rebbe once said, if you want to light up the world, the Gemara says in Menachas Pevav, the Beis Hamidrash didn't need light. So why was there a menorah? Shemimena yeitzayayayla l'chayloyelam kulay, rashik savyad, menachas. Because that has to illuminate the world. If you want to illuminate the world, you have to be miksha'achas, you have to be made of one piece. In fact, the Aaron was not made of one piece. The Aaron was in Kaddish HaKadoshim. The menorah was made of one piece. The chatzotzrus were made of one piece. The trumpets, the menorah, the kruvim, the kruvim and the kapiris. Why? Now you understand. If you want to light up the world, you have to be made up of one piece. You have to be truly, truly connected. You can't be a split personality. Chatzotzrus, if you want to take the trumpets and lead the people, you have to be made of one piece. Kruvim, when you educate children, don't confuse them. Don't distract them. Give them a life filled with Yerushalayim, filled with Kedusha, no other things. Filled with Kedusha. Torah, Torah, Torah. The atmosphere of Torah, the beauty of Torah, the truth of Torah, the godliness of Torah. You need to be miksha. So he told Herbert Weiner, what you're seeing is not naivete, you're seeing people who are not split. Very, very big difference. There's closed-mindedness. Okay, that's also a derech for some people. Then people are not closed-minded, but they know who they are. Shvatim were not closed-minded. Yehudim was not closed-minded at all. He was a king. Melech Shabbat Shvatim. 
But Yaakov understood that the yeshiva that raises the new generation of Jews must be led and created in an environment where there's absolutely nothing else outside of Limud HaTayra. Outside of complete oneness with Hashem's Hashem's wisdom and will. Let's take some questions. What does this mean in our lives? Many of us have jobs, many of us go to work, many of us are involved with so many things, and that may be our shlichus, our mission. So first of all, it's a powerful lesson for Talmudi Yeshiva, but there's another lesson, and I heard this from the Rebbe once, and he said, he was speaking like about Rabshim ben Yechai and he said this. He said, when you're learning, to, what's the lesson of Rajbi? We have other jobs. We do other things besides learning. He says, but when you're learning, while you're learning, you should learn with the same koch, the same chius, the same passion, as though Tehrasiyam Nasi. He says, when you're learning, that hour a day that you're learning, that half an hour a day that you're learning, the two hours a day you're learning, it should be that during those two hours, it's as though you have nothing else going on in the world. There's no cell phone, there's no WhatsApps, there's no clips, not even Rabbi YY clips. There's no websites, there's no business, there's no stress, there's no anxiety, even though you have to go to work afterwards. Okay, that's your shlichus. And that's a holy shlichus. But when you're learning, when you're in the world of Torah, there's nothing else. There's nothing else. I remember he said that before cell phones. He says, the telephone clinked. It doesn't exist. There's no, there's no telephone ringing. We're not talking about an emergency situation. But the regular things of life. He's checking his phone. He's checking his WhatsApp. He's checking his text. He's doing this. He's doing that. When you dedicate time to Torah, during those moments, you have to go into the mode of Yehuda, not the mode of Yosef. The mode of Yosef is to transform the world. But the mode of Yehuda is to go out of the world and to just go into a space where there's Ein Oid Malvada in the world of Kedusha. The same is true when you're davening, when you're learning. To be able to have that serenity, to be able to retreat from everything and melt away in the ecstasy of infinity. I'll do a few minutes of questions. I know the hour is late. But let's see what's going on. This completes the Sikhi. You see, Mesichas, Shabbos, Parshas, Miketz, Tovshin, Chav, Beis. 17 questions. 17 questions. Rebavram, Shalom Aleichem. Shalom Aleichem. Rebavram, you understand why I titled the Shir the Litvish side of the Lubavitch Rebbe? <laughs> You see, it's a different side. People don't know so much about this side. Huh? <laughs> it's important because, we, you know, we like putting people in boxes. You're this, you're that. Torah is infinite. Godliness is infinite. And how do you know it's infinite? Because it expresses itself in so many different streams of consciousness. The spectrums of light, of God's light, are infinite. And they're all ultimately true. They're all ultimately true. And that's why there's so much need for humility and for respect and for love and for less judgmentalism. Okay, I see a lot of questions. 17 questions parallel the 17 years of Yosef and Mitzrayim. Right? So, you're, we're learning about Yosef and Yosef in Egyptian society and Yaakov's recognition of Yosef's power. You say that we can all emulate Yosef's behavior but the brothers hated Yosef. They thought that this is not how Jews should live. They were more secluded. They felt that he's making a big mistake. 
you say that we go in the way of Yehud and not of Yosef. So what's the lesson of Yosef? How does David HaMelech fit into the picture? He comes from Yehuda. He was also secluded by his brothers. David lives in the world and he's not secluded. So is he like Yehuda or like Yosef? The answer is we don't choose Yehuda over Yosef or Yosef over Yehuda exclusively. They're all mitasei shleimah. They're all part of the Jewish family. We learn from Yosef and we learn from Yehuda. That's what we were learning about. Yosef has his mission. The other brothers have their mission. And ultimately in our lives, most of us have to learn the art of integration of Yehuda and Yosef. That's the point. There is who we are at our core and how we fulfill our mission in the world. Who are we at our core? It's the yeshiva that Yehuda creates. Jews that are completely committed to Einoid Mulvade. We live in the vision of divine oneness. And in the world of Torah, that's manifested in the most obvious way. That's what Torah is. What is our mission? The mission for many of us is to do what we can to change a world. And it begins with changing ourselves. <laughs> I don't start with changing the world. I start with changing myself and, and the people around me. And that's what Yosef is. Yosef is an ambassador. He's an ambassador of love light, hope, healing, authenticity, and redemption. Did you ever hear that before, the bar? Okay. Next sicha. Next, next question. To be or not to be, that is the question. To be in the world or not to be in the world. The sicha extols the virtues of Yosef, and then it extols the virtues of being isolated and excluded. Which one is this? You said yesterday in your shir and the other sikh that in times of Golos, we need Yosef. In times of Gula, maybe we don't need Yosef. Soon the Gula is coming. The world will be transformed. What's our mission? The counterpoint to our sikh is that Mashiach is going to come from Yehuda. That means the ultimate truth is maybe Yehuda. But there is also Mashiach ben Yosef before Mashiach ben David. Yecheskel Amad Zayin says that the two trees have to come together. The Haftar of Parshas Vayigash. So I'm trying to understand all of this. Okay, listen, we're all trying to understand all of this. That's the point. Ultimately, the two come together. Ultimately, when Mashiach comes, the two come together. Yehuda and Yosef come together. Yehuda was Yerushalayim. Yosef was Shiloh. Mishkan Shile had no wall. Yerushalayim had a wall. Yosef believes in Judaism with no walls. Yehuda believes in a wall. Mr. Gorbachev, tear down that wall. But somebody else said, we got to build a wall. <laughs> Which one is it? With walls, without walls? The answer is in Yerushalayim, Sfasema says this, in Yerushalayim you eat karbonus inside the wall. In Shila you can eat karbonus as far as your eye can perceive the Mishkan. So Gemara in Zvachim, Kuftazayin, Amishna, Mishnah, Megillah. That's Yosef. Ben Peiris, Yosef, Ben Peiris, Alayayin. If you go to the class we have on the yeshiva.net, Judaism, inside or outside, two series, we discussed this at length. How you ate Karbanis in Yerushalayim, I ate Karbanis in Shilai. The ultimate Beis HaMikdash is going to be in Yerushalayim, but it says, process Tesh of Yerushalayim. Yerushalayim will be without walls. Yerushalayim will be able to be open because we will be immune to attacks. We won't have to be so sheltered because the whole world will be godly. That's what the Medrash says. Yishalayim is going to spread to the whole Eretz Yisrael. Yisrael will spread to the whole world. Beautiful question. To be or not to be? 
What happened to the yeshiva of Shem and Aver? Why didn't Yaakov just relocate that yeshiva? Were they abandoned when Yaakov and his family moved to Egypt? It's a good question, but I don't think the yeshiva of Shem and Aver lasted for so long. Yaakov was in the yeshiva of Shem of Aver when he ran away from Esau, but that's many, many years before this. So I don't know that that yeshiva existed, and probably that yeshiva was anyway a little shtibel somewhere in hiding. It wasn't a popular yeshiva. Aren't we told that a community must first build a mikveh in a new place and even sell a sefetera to build a mikveh? Of course, you have to build a mikveh and you sell a sefetera to build a mikveh because without a mikveh, families can't be together and the future, you don't have Jewish children. The future of the Jewish people is the mikveh. But in terms of creating a place of Torah, this is essential to the whole consciousness of the community. So he's not saying you do this instead of a mikveh, of course not. Is this the concept of shlichus, but before you go on shlichus, you have to be entrenched in Torah? So the Rebbe sent thousands of shluchim, continuing unabated to this day. They go to places devoid of any Yiddishkeit, even though there are Jews there. Where is the yeshiva built before they go? Or is it true that the shliach and his wife are the yeshiva in the sense of the fountain of Torah knowledge? The truth is, it's a, you're 100% right. And you could speak to all the shluchim. The greatest ones who had the most success are those who create right away a place of Torah. And that's what most of them do, or all of them do. You right away start with teaching and learning and learning yourself. They have to become the yeshiva. Their Shabbos table becomes a yeshiva. Their home becomes a yeshiva. Obviously, every place according to its its uniqueness and every person according to his flavor. But, uh, you know, sometimes, uh, you know, people often ask me, is it true that in Chabad they don't honor so much learning? The main thing is go out and, you know, put tefillin on people and give them matzah and give them hot chicken soup. So there's certainly a focus on giving people chicken soup and putting on tefillin and, and, and being kind to people and showing warmth. But you see, this sicha of the Rebbe from 1961, this is the early years, the Rebbe became a Rebbe in 51, so this is the first decade, end of the first decade, he's really outlining his blueprint. And this is what he says. He says, Talmidei HaYeshiva have to know that their thing is only Torah and not connected to anything else. Torah, Torah, to the point that when your mother asks you to serve you something, Abaya says, it's distracting me from learning. And when a lice bites me, it's a distraction of learning. That's the intensity of learning. And anybody who knows about the Rebbe knows that's how he lived. That's how he learned all his life. So that's the foundation, that's the focus. From Torah, you can now change the world. When you have this foundation, you can change the world. Does everybody live up to this? No, nobody's perfect, but, uh, but you have to know the vision. Next question. When you created the yeshiva.net many years ago, was this the vision? Well, the vision was to create a place where people could constantly come and learn and grow and be inspired and be infused with the infinite depth, majesty, love, and relevance of Torah. To empower minds, to broaden horizons, to inspire souls, to ignite neshamas, and to turn people into ambassadors of Yiddishkeit and of love and of light and of hope and of healing and of redemption. That's our vision. You explain that when a Jew learns Torah, he is aligned with Hashem and there's no greater unity. Those who are streaming this class now live in Eretz Yisrael, they have to log off because it's sunset soon 
and it's December 25th, it's going to be December 25th, which is Nittal. Why is it then that the Hasidim stop learning during this time? Does that make sense? It's Bittal Torah. Okay, that's a whole separate subject, but the reason why the Minig by many is not to learn during Nittal is not because Torah is not so precious. It's because, because of the unique personality and story of the founder of Christianity, who was a yeshiva bacher and was a student, Svarim explained that we don't learn not to add chius, not to add life into him and to those who follow the shitta. It's really a separate, separate class. You could look at my, in the yeshiva.net, we have the, the Talmudic perspective on Christianity. I think we discussed it. Yosef told the Shvatim, al Rashi says, don't start arguing who's responsible. But it seems like that the Shvatim, who really wanted to learn Torah, wanted to just learn Torah in depth. Indeed, Rashi gives another interpretation. Don't get involved in Pilpulim because you're going to get lost. That's consistent with this Sikha that their whole life was Torah. Because he knew that that's going to be their topic of conversation. So Yosef told them, Al-Tirgazu Baderech, because you would think that their conversation will all will be about politics, blaming each other. So that's one interpretation. But another interpretation is, don't get too much involved in Pilpul because he knew who they are. Rambam Hilchis Tumas Sarah says, Sichas Ksheri Yisrael Eina The Sicha of the great Erlich is in the words of Torah and Chachma. Why does he add the word Chachma and doesn't only say the word Divrei Torah? The answer is in the introduction to Pirish HaMishnayis, it seems from the Rambam that Chachma is referring to Chachma Eloikis, divine wisdom, which may be Maise Bereshis and Maise Merkava that he's talking about in Hilchis Yisraeli Torah, what we call today Pnimiyas Torah. You said from Hilchis Talmud Torah that soon after marriage, a few years, your mind becomes distracted by responsibility, even if you're supported financially. And that's the unique beauty of learning Torah as a yeshiva bacha before you're married or right after you're married because you could completely seclude yourself into the world of Torah. Is that really the case till today? Absolutely. It's not true for everybody and some people may have other challenges and we have to address them with love and non-judgmentalism. But those of you who sat in yeshiva for years and learned, you knew there were Friday nights. People sit for hours, Thursday nights. You don't have anything else. I remember when I was a yeshiva bacha. I still try to learn as much as I can. But it, it's very it's a, just a very different style. When you're in Yeshiva Bachar for hours and hours, you can just live in the paradise of, of divine intimacy of Taita. Okay. So many questions. Wow. Beautiful questions. The Rambam says in Hilchis Avaidizara, Perik Aleph, that Yaakov Avinu taught all of his children and he made Levi the spiritual leader, and he put him in the yeshiva to teach the Jews the way of Hashem and to keep the mitzvahs. And he told his children never to go away from the children of Levi, and that no, 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 that the children of Levi should always have somebody leading the yeshiva and teaching Torah and be in charge. So why didn't he send Levi? He should have sent Levi instead of Yehuda. It's a good question. It's an interesting question. How do we reconcile it with the Ramach Zavadizara? I'm not sure. And indeed, the Sikha speaks about Levi, not having a part in Eretz Yisrael. But the yeshiva is created through Yehuda. The only thing I'm thinking is maybe since Yehuda was the king, he was like the leader, he's the one who really got the job done. He brought Binyam, he guaranteed Binyam, and he confronted Yosef. 
So maybe we needed Yehuda because he felt he has the tenaciousness, the, 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 the strength, the conviction to go to Egypt and build the yeshiva. It didn't only require somebody who's into learning all day, but also somebody who had those leadership qualities and skills, so to speak, to be able to establish the yeshiva, to be able to create it, to be able to create that, that infrastructure, number one. Number two, because Yehuda in many ways was the leader, so the fact that he would create the yeshiva would create the paradigm for the center, where's the center life of Gaishan? What's the place where, what's the center of Gaishan, the yeshiva? I think maybe, 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 but I'm not sure. It's a very, very good, very good ha'ara. Why did the Tzemach Tzedek learn Chayshin Mishpat after Hakafis? I think he said that after so much simcha and dancing, there could be a nikah which means there could be some toxic energy that feeds off it. And Chayshin Mishpat is really the, you know, the sugyas that are very, very intricate and detailed, you know, if you learn Baba Basra, all these sugyas, it's extremely grounding in the sense that it brings the divine wisdom into a very concrete fashion. So is the highest ideal to sit and learn all day without distractions or responsibility, or is the highest ideal to go out to the world? So what do we learn from here? We learn from here that there's different streams in Yiddishkeit. There's for those that the highest ideal is to sit and learn without responsibility, and those that the highest ideal is to go change the world. It's certainly the Lubavitcher Rebbe's perspective was that since we're living in a time of mass assimilation and pikuach nefesh, and the Jewish house is burning, so everyone is responsible, or at least most people are responsible, to take some buckets of water and try to extinguish the flames of ignorance and assimilation and anti-Semitism and, and mass alienation from Judaism because we're living in a generation of so much endless assimilation. Everybody can have influence in one way or another. Okay, there's a lot going on here, but uh, we'll take we'll take a break here. I'm looking forward to the day I can totally retreat from the world and study Torah all day and not be involved in anything else. Okay, but still remember, we always need Torah and Gemilas Chasadim to be able to be there for people to help another Jew because without that, our Torah ultimately is also flawed and missing. I wish everybody a beautiful day. I send you my love and blessings and tremendous hatzloche in, in, in internalizing this, that when we learn and when we daven, there should be ein oid malvade, only Torah, only tefillah. We should be able to be completely breathe in the infinite love and the infinite infinite divinity. And then from that place of, of, of anchored in the essence, you can confront any reality and, and be a true ambassador of love and bring together the brothers for uh, eternal unity. Have a wonderful, wonderful day and uh, a wonderful Shabbos and a uh, wonderful life and be blessed with your families and uh, we should have Psurus Taivis Tamit Kalayamim and Agula Shlema and we'll see you soon. Our next Chesidah Shir will be Bezer Hashem next week. Yehuda had a whole story with Tamar. What happened? Well, that's exactly the point, by the way. Yosef went into the lion's den and he came out unscathed because Yosef came from Seviv. And in that sense, he was even higher than Yehuda. This brings out the beauty of Yosef. Yosef could be in places that Yehuda couldn't be. That's very, very true. Interesting point. Okay, Chavana. Tzlach Rabba. Ay, did it, ay, 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 did it, ay, 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 
This class is brought to you by the yeshiva.net. Please help us continue the classes. Make even a small contribution at www.theyeshiva.net slash donate.